Now, grab your Bibles and let's uh, get back to Romans chapter 12. Now, guys, um, I, um, you know, the job of pastor is one that receives its fair amount of criticisms. And, and one of the criticisms that seems to be frequently leveled at dear, dear Dr. Young is that he moves way too slowly through the, um, through Romans. And, and there are all these little, you know, like Polak jokes about how long it's going to take Dr. Young to get through Romans. And, um, and I, I'm, I'm guilty as charged. But he, let, let me, let me defend myself, at least briefly. Guys, Romans chapter 12 and, and 1 and 2 are, are in, in some ways like a, like a train track intersection. Can, can you imagine that? Can you picture that in your mind's eye? A, a, an intersection between, you know, maybe the north-south route and the east-west route, you know. And my, my father was a, a, a railroad man. He was an engineer with the Illinois Central Railroad. And they had a place called, um, I forget what it's called, but it was where the roundhouse was. Uh, and you know what the round, if you don't know what a roundhouse is, I'll have to tell you what a roundhouse is. But, but it's where all these, these, these train tracks converged at the same spot. There were, there were train track intersections. And that's an important part of, you know, of, of training, you know, training. Because that's, you know, a lot of, a lot of things going different directions and all in this intersection. And it's an important spot, but it's also a dangerous spot. Because with all that stuff going on there, there's all kinds of opportunity for, for mishap and for accident, et cetera, et cetera. What, what I'm saying is, Romans 12, 1 and 2 is like an intersection, a, it's an intersection of, of great Christian doctrine where, where great Christian doctrine or Bible doctrine meets the living of the Christian life. And I've tried to point that out over the last uh, four weeks in verse 1. Um, it, it's, where, it's where doctrine intersects with the living out of my Christian experience. And that's an important intersection, ladies and gentlemen. It can't be overstated how important is that intersection. However, it's a dangerous one as well. Because if you err in your concepts of how it is that doctrine is to influence the living out of my Christian life, it, there can be some, some mishap. Some unfortunate kind of, um, oh, I don't know, um, choices that are, that are really mistakes and, and kind of uh, blunt the whole effort, the, the whole uh, process of Christian growth. So that's why we've taken our time. It's a, it's an intersection. It's an important one and it's an, a dangerous one. It's a dangerous one. So therefore we've, um, we've moved rather slowly as you, uh, know. Now Brent Wilkins, this is a wonderful device. If I only had something to use to, to write with, uh, uh, with this device, it would be much more, much more commodious. Um, <laughs> um, anyway. Guys, we come to the last clause of verse 1. This is the fifth week that we have spent on verse 1. Um, and in, in a lot of ways, the last clause is the most, it's the trickiest. Thanks, Brent. I knew you could do that. Um, is that, um, it's the trickiest. Um, let me, let me tell you why, why I say it's tricky. I looked at six different translations of, of Romans 12.1 this afternoon. And out of those six different translations, which are scattered in this room, there are four different translations of four Greek words. 
depending on your translation, you've got, you've got uh, like the King James and the New King James, that you would expect them to say the same thing, um, uh, which is your reasonable service. But the New American Standard says, which is your spiritual service of worship. And the NIV said, this is your spiritual act of worship. And then the RSV, interestingly, uh, agrees with the English Standard Version. Um, and it's all because of some, some difficulties over some Greek words. Um, there we go. Um, uh, st- bear with me. Um, what is it? Um, Those are the four Greek words that uh, are translated by by Bible translators five different ways. Um, This word is a is really an easy one. It just is. um, It it, it would take me a long time to explain it, but it's just it's just the it's just the which or the that in your translation, and the the verb is is understood. It's not in the text, but it's understood. This word down here is, is clearly the word that is translated your. Here's the two words that cause problems. Um, logicane and latriane. This word right here is a word that is translated in your translations that are sitting on your tables right now. The, the translators translate it variously either as the word service or worship. Have you ever uh, uh, thought about where we get the, the term, uh, did you attend the worship service? Where did that come from? Well, it came from that word. <laughs> um, and it's, it's a hard word to figure out uh, what is being, um, what is in the mind of Paul. Worship, service, they're, 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 they're in all honesty, folks, those two words are interchangeable. Um, Worship is to be a service of God. Service is to be directed to God. It, it's a it's a worship service. It's a it's a word that's translated in your translations either worship or service. Okay, but here's the real stumperoonie right there. That's the hard word. In in all of your translations, it's translated reasonable, rational, rational, spiritual. Um, Seems like there's one other word that is used. Um, uh, reasonable. Um, Rational, spiritual, that's the word that is, that is key in the understanding of this last clause. Paul has invited you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, which is your service, which is your worship. But what kind of service? Is it reasonable? Is it rational? Is it, is it spiritual? What, what, what does the apostle Paul have in mind here, guys? And this is, I think it's worth spending a little time on. <laughs> um, understand this, guys, that whatever that word is, it is describing the sacrifice that is mentioned. That is, I, I present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What kind of living sacrifice? Holy, acceptable, and logikos. That sacrifice is to be holy, Acceptable and logikos. <laughs> now, what in the devil is logikos? 
Actually, that's the root word. This is logic cane. I knew you'd figure that out. But um, but that's just a depending on the ending is that's. But the 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 root word is logikos. Let, let me write that for you again. Um, logikos. Okay. In in the Greek, the, this right here is an L. That right there is an O. That thing right there is a G. Um, that thing right there is an I. That thing right there is a K. And that's an O and S. But um, you see anything there, folks? <laughs> I mean, if I were to change this letter to a C, do you see anything? That, that Paul is saying that this sacrifice that I am supposed to bring is logical. <laughs> it's, a, it's a logical response. It's rendered by the mind. It's a, it's a, it's a sacrifice that is, that is reasonable. Reasonable because it's logical. Um, <clears throat> uh, last Friday, uh, I wish he were here because I would love to pick on him. But I had lunch with Billy Perry. And Billy Perry is eminently pick upunable, pick on a bull. Um, but anyway, Billy and I were talking about some, just some fun stuff. I mean, I mean, spiritually very, very engaging stuff. And, um, um, so I was telling him, cause I, I usually, once I teach on Wednesday nights, then on Thursday mornings, I start praying for, for next Wednesday night. So I, I had just looked at this stuff on Thursday morning and I had lunch with him on Friday. And I was telling him about this word, logikos. And um, <coughs> I said, it's the word from which we get our English word logical. And so, I said to Billy, I said, if we fail to present our bodies as living sacrifices, that is... And he jumped in before I could finish my sentence and he said... Now, let me, let me go back. I said, if we fail to present our bodies as living sacrifices like we're being played with right here, if we fail to do that, that is, and I was going to say, illogical. If we fail to do what Paul is calling logical, then it would be illogical, wouldn't it? Is that, is that hard? Libby? Okay, good. Um, <coughs> um, so, so, so I was saying, if we fail to present our bodies as living fa- sacrifices, that would be, and he jumped in and said, stupid. <laughs> and that's right, ladies and gentlemen. Um, what Paul is saying is, what he is asking us to give to God is the product of logical, rational, reasonable, mental processes by which we come to the conclusion I need to give my body away. Which is my logicas. It's my logica service. It's my logical response to the mercies of God, as we've said earlier. But guys, there's a lot of struggle about 
how to translate that word. Yes, and it shows up in your translations. But simply understand this. Whatever Paul has in mind, it is the product of a mental process where we think through the issues and come to a logical, a logical conclusion. And you know what that logical conclusion is? Is that we give ourselves as living sacrifices, which is our logical service of worship. Guys, I want to do this with you because I, I want to show you, I want to show you this elsewhere. I want to show you what the, the Apostle Paul is doing, and I want to show you how Moses does the same thing. Open your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy. And I'm gonna I'm gonna walk you through four chapters of the book of Deuteronomy. <clears throat> so this might be the end of where we get tonight. Guys, um, I don't know how much you know about the Old Testament. It's okay. Uh, but the book of Deuteronomy is a wonderful collection of, I could call them sermons, but they're really not so much sermons as they are um, lectures. Um, if you know anything about the, the, the Old Testament, Genesis is the book of beginnings, you know, that the earth is created and that's how God identifies with Abraham. And Abraham has, you know, the uh, Isaac and then Jacob and then the 12 sons and then Israel and they go down to Egypt and, and they get in all kinds of trouble and then, then God gets them out of there and the cross the Red Sea and, and uh, the 11 plagues and, you know, they're out there in the wilderness and they send out the spies and the spies, they, they do a bad thing and they come back and says, okay, 40 years. God says, <clears throat> I'm getting rid of all the people who came back with a bad report. So you're going to spend 40 years in the wilderness. Everybody... Is that okay, Libby? You got that? Okay, good. All right. Uh, now, guys, um, um, go with me now to, let's see, we're in chapter 1. And so what you're getting here is is a um, um, the closing out of Moses' life. Moses is, is, is coming to the end of his, uh, his duties and his responsibilities. Um, and you notice in verse 3. In the 40th year on the first day of the 11th month. So what does that mean? What does that mean? That means those 40 years are over. And so they're just on the cusp of entering the promised land. By the way, look at this. This is, I think this is, oh, look at verse 2. It was an 11 days journey from Horeb, from Mount That is, they were 11 days journey away from the, the promised land. And they spent 40 years, 11 days away from the promised land. <clears throat> but that's all behind them. So Moses is um, Moses steps forward and he says, okay, let's review. And so that's what you get in the book of Deuteronomy. He's at year 40 and he says, um, um, look at verse 9. At that time I said to you, um, look at verse 19. Then we set out from Horeb. Um, uh, and, and look at verse 41. Then you answered me. Do you see what he's doing? Moses gathers everybody together. He's, you know, all the bad guys are dead. We're about to enter the promised land. He's about to, you know, ordain Joshua. Moses is about to die and he gathers them all together and he wants to give some review of where we've come, where we've been. So this is what happened. And and then this happened. And then we went to this and that happened. And he, and he's, he's just walking these people through, uh, what has been going on for the last 40 years. Look at chapter two. Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. That was right after the, tw- the ten spies came back with a bad report. So that's where he is in the in the the unfolding of this history. He said, "Remember those? Uh, you know what happened with the? That's at the end of chapter one. Um, 
you know, they gave a bad report and all that business. And so, so then we had to turn back and go back towards the Red Sea. That's where we spent those 40 years. And look at verse uh, 8. Um, and we turned and went in the direction of the wilderness of Moab. Um, and, and, and look at verse 16. So as soon as all the men of war had perished and were dead from among the people, the Lord said to me, Today you are to cross the border of Moab at Ar. You know what he's saying? Okay, we've been wandering around here for 40 years. And today's the day. We're going over, boys. And of course, uh, right at the end of somewhere in there in chapter 2, um, or maybe it's chapter 3, Moses says, Lord, I know I can't go into the promised land, but would you let me just sneak over and take a look at it? And and God says, no, I won't. Um, it's in chapter 3. Chapter 3, uh, verse 23, and, and I pleaded with the Lord at that time saying, Oh, Lord, uh, you've only been able to show your servant your greatness and mightiness. Um, verse 25, please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan. And um, verse 26, but the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough from you. Do not speak to me about this anymore. <laughs> okay, Moses, I know you want to go over there, but you're not. That's all I want to hear about it. And so um, uh, Moses is back to work. Um, uh, and now, O oh Israel, listen to me, the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, etc., etc. Now, guys, um, um, he forbids idolatry. Look at, uh, that's in, we're in chapter 4 now. Um, uh, the Lord God alone and all that business. Uh, he, he mentions the, um, the, the, um, the cities of refuge. Uh, in, you know, he's just, he's just trying to get everything together because he's about to be taken off the scene. Um, uh, now, I'm in chapter 4, verse 32. Okay, this is almost over, so just hang with me. <laughs> uh, verse 32. For ask now the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or is ever heard of. Look at verse 33. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of a fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, and by a mighty hand and outstretched arm, by great deeds and terror, um, uh, as all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides Him. Do you see what Moses has done? Is there ever a people who have seen what you've seen? Is there ever been a people who have had it happen to them what you've had happen to you? Has there ever been a people who have experienced the great deliverances that you've experienced? Has anybody ever had a redemptive story like the one that you've heard about? Has anybody ever been drawn out with the strong arm of God out of the house of bondage like you have? Go, he says in verse 32, go from one end of the heaven to the others and ask this question. Has anybody been blessed like we have? Has there ever been anybody that have tasted the great and good and powerful works of God like you have? And then he says, verse 36, out of heaven, he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth, he let you see his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of fire. And because he loved your fathers, on and on and on he goes. Um, now, then we come to verse 39. 
Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord God is in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Are you ready? Are you ready to respond, Logikos? Because here it comes, ladies and gentlemen. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God has given you for all time. Brothers and sisters, do you see what Moses did? He said, do you remember this? And this, and this, and this. Do you remember how the spies were sent out and and, and they didn't do well? And so for 40 years we wandered around the wilderness. And now the 40th year is done and I'm saying today you're going to cross the river and you're going to fight Moab and you're going to take their land. And then he, he comes to the close of this lecture and he says, Now, ask yourself, has anybody ever seen what you've seen? Has anybody ever been blessed like you've been blessed? Has anybody ever enjoyed the great redemptive plan of God like you have? Has anybody never deserved anything from God but got only goodness from God? Has any... Go from one end of the earth to the other. Find a God like that! Has anybody got a God like that? Therefore, Obey. Guys, do you see what Moses has done? He simply appealed to you logically. That's what Paul is doing in Romans 12.1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Think it through. Go take, a, go take another look at all the grand story of redemption that is ours as people of God. Has anybody ever done what you've done and God still saved him? Has anybody ever rebelled like you have rebelled and thumbed your nose at the things of Jesus Christ for oh so many years and he still showered grace on you? Has anybody ever lived as many years as you've lived? trying to make your fortune and store up all kinds of money so that you can enjoy your retirement, and then only to discover that God has been rich in mercy towards you and saved you in your old age. Has there ever been a God like that? Therefore, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, and logical. And to not do so, ladies and gentlemen, is stupid. It's as stupid as it is evil. It's as, it's as evil as it is illogical. It's as illogical as it is irrational. Once I consider the grand redemptive story of which I happen to be a part. Take a look at the gospel all over again, ladies and gentlemen. 
take a look at what all that God has done for you in Christ Jesus. And then here is Paul's invitation. Really, it's not an invitation. It's a command. He says, present. the word present is in the imperative. It's not in the, it's not in the indicative. It's a command. He says, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable and rational. Anything other than that just means you're irrational. Just means we're stupid. Guys, tell me this. Um, when, when people, when 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 you when you sit in an audience and you hear somebody talk about, I don't know, a missionary or just a just another Christian who's who has served God faithfully for some years and they and they tell about God's great faithfulness and and all of the wonderful things that they have seen in the course of a lifetime and all the all the sweetnesses and all the deliverances and all of the the kindnesses and all those things that that are just that are so sweet to hear about tell me are they lying Have you ever heard anybody stand up and say, Yeah, I served Jesus for all of my life and it's been horrible. I've hated every minute of it. Yeah, I did it, but man, it was hard on me. And I regret those choices of falling after Jesus. Yeah, boy, because I had to make all these terrible... It was awful. Have you ever heard anybody say that? What have they said? What have they said about the sweetness and the and the wisdom and the beauty of chasing after Jesus Christ? Are they lying? Or would it be rational for us to respond in a similar way? I'll tell you a quick story and I'm done. Years ago, Paul Koyster came in here and Paul Corster is a guy who's, you know, I'm I'm in the PCA. I don't know whether y'all know that, but I'm I'm ordained in the PCA. And uh, Paul Corster used to head up Covenant Seminary in St. Louis, and he left there, and he's now running the missions agency of the PCA. He's uh, he's probably the best thing that's happened to the missions effort in the PCA. Paul Corster, his wife just died a, a little year, a little over a year ago of cancer, and he's just a fine man. He he did our missions conference here years ago before we ever moved over in that building because he was right here. And, and we had two services back then, and I've never seen anybody do this. He preached one sermon in the 9.30 service, and he preached another sermon in the 11 o'clock service, and they were both wonderful. And he's just a, and I've tried to get him back here several times, and he's just, he just, well, his wife has been sick, and he's really been off the calendar. But um, at that missions conference, he mentioned this book, Borden of Yale. So I went out and bought it and uh, read it years ago. Have you ever heard of this, Borden of Yale? Um, William Borden? You ever heard of Borden milk, Borden ice cream, you know, Borden's? He was an heir. He was the son of the Borden um, uh, corporate empire. Uh, He went to Yale. He met uh, Christ at about age 16, I think. He goes to Yale and and has this unbelievable ministry at Yale. He organized all these things and uh, yada, yada, yada. He... um, um, you know these these groups of men and these mission agencies and and, and all this 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 wonderful good stuff that he um, that he put together. 
and he was the president of this association and that association and, and all that business. And um, so when he graduated, uh, he inherited, and I forget what it was. I, I tried to find it today. I forget whether it was a million dollars. This was in 1913, so you can. It was either a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars. I forget, but I think it was a million dollars. He was committed to go to the mission field, um, and he was going to go to China. Um, and all of this, his his whole life, I mean, well, not his whole, but his, the last two years of his school, he was determined to get to China and carry the gospel to China. Before he left, he gave the whole million away. All of it. He gave everything away. All of his inheritance, he gave away. He was single. He got on a boat, and he headed to China, but before he got to China... He stopped in Cairo to be taught the language. Um, he was being taught Chinese uh, before he went over to China. At 25 years old, penniless, basically, while in Cairo learning Chinese, he contracted spinal meningitis. And I think he made it 10 months. Never made it to China. Died in Cairo. His mother came over to bury him. And um, um, she found a book. It was either a book or a uh, journal. I forget which one. I tried to find that today. I couldn't find it. But um, at the end of the book, or the journal, or whatever. The last thing he ever said or wrote were these words. No reserve. No retreat. No regrets. No reserve. No retreat. No regrets. Gave away a fortune. Died at age 25. Alone, unmarried, in a foreign country. And the last two words he said were, No regrets. Was he lying? Or might it be the most rational, reasonable, logical choice for us to make where we present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God? You think about that. Our Father, there's not a man, woman in this room who has done that. Not the preacher, not the preacher's wife, not the elders, not the elders' wives, not the committee members, not the committee members' wives. Because, Lord God, we are as illogical as we are wicked. We've chosen to, to live irrationally. 
thinking that we could drain some kind of joy and meaning out of a portfolio. Only to discover that with a matter of a bank failure here and a, an insurance company gone south there, our fortune has gone. And we still wonder, who's the most logical? William Borden or us? Father, would you, um, would you remind us that to find life, we got to lose it. And no man who has ever done that has ever regretted it. We ask all of this in the name of Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen. Thank you and good night.